Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Well, welcome along to our half-term report card as our team of experts look at the drivers, the teams, the cars and give their verdicts on how we've gone so far at the summer break over halfway through the season. And because this is Formula One, we like to overcomplicate things. So we have the Autosport driver ratings. That's the scores that we give the drivers after every event. Uh, Obviously, the readers of the website, autosport.com, can also give a score and that differs slightly to what we give it. And then we We've also gone back knowing what we know now about the various things that were happening for drivers and teams and kind of re-ranked them a little bit uh, with the knowledge that we've got halfway through the season. So uh, as it's Formula One, let's overcomplicate things from the very beginning. I'm joined by our panel of experts, uh, by Matt Q, Alex Kalanorkis and Luke Smith. We have the driver ratings done every Sunday night. What have you done at the summer break to kind of look back, just kind of look at those scores a little bit? I don't know about you, Alex, but mine tend to drift into Monday morning <laughs> when I'm doing them. But what we've done is, so, um, yeah, like you say, we, we collate the order. We have an average uh, average rating, and at this point in the season, we can see exactly where we put them and rank them. And there's a few changes, so if site one we'll come on to is Hamilton, by our ratings, uh, is behind Russell, but 
for the halftime report with Put Him Above. And it's because like things come to light that we didn't know at, you know, midnight the night of when we were writing a report. So one of those is when he had that patch um, where he was behind Russell and the mainstream media went, oh, he's lost it. Russell was just thrown to him and whatever. Well, we now know that that's because his experience, Mercedes really lent on to sort of try and troubleshoot the W13. So as they put it, he was on wild experimental setups. And Russell had you know, the the easier to drive car for those races, which explain those gaps. And other things that come to light is when you have a bit more time and you've got off your plane and whatever and you have a few hours going spare. Because we're sad people, you can go through the race data and really isolate the pace. So on the days when the W13 has been good, it's invariably been Hamilton that's been the quicker of the two drivers. So that's just a snapshot. But it's all about, you know, we can look at bigger picture and go thematically rather than just what happened in the heat of the moment. Alex, how are you feeling at the summer break? Uh, I think it's been it's it's been two different things. It's been wildly successful in terms of the new rules. Everyone's very interested. We finally got through in terms of the, the COVID races, people not being able to attend. It's, it's very popular, Formula One. On the other hand, the title fight is, is, is over, effectively. You know, Ferrari looked to be the ones that was going to run away with it. Looking just at the results, remember both the Red Bulls didn't finish in, uh, in Bahrain, Max Verstappen out in Australia. But then it's, it's turned around so quickly and it's, it's becoming a frustrating season because it, it's just Red Bull. I think Matt, you had a great stat coming out of Hungary that if Leclerc wins every race, if he gets the fastest lap bonus point in each of them, if he wins the final sprint race, he can score 420 points. That's the actual maximum he can score. Max Verstappen can hit that total with second places in every single race. Now, obviously, if, he, if wherever he finishes, as long as it's in the points in the sprint race, he would win it. He'd be a point ahead. But it just shows you the scale of it. And also, I think Max was asked in the press conference, I know you were there, Matt, um, after the Hungary race, where he's got two Mercedes behind him, it's like, well, are you, you know, how are you feeling? Are you more worried about Mercedes now that Ferrari keeps messing it up? And he's like, why would I be worried? They're good now. They're just going to take points off Ferrari. So it's going to get, in a weird way, even easier for him if Mercedes is coming good. And I don't see any reason why Ferrari would turn this around. It's a great car. Technically, they've produced a great car, but the execution, mainly from the team, has been pretty shocking. And Leclerc was producing one of the all-time great seasons and really, with that stuffing it into the ball at Paul Ricard, that massively affects the drive ratings that we'll come on to. It's stained it, really, from Leclerc's point of view. Uh, and Luke, new cars, new rules from when you first saw them roll out in testing to where we are today. How are you feeling about the state of Formula One? The rules have been very successful. They've done what they wanted to do, which is offer better overtaking and um, better better on-track racing. The on-track spectacle, I think, has been really good this year. I think that midfield fight especially has been very, very uh, close, which has been really, really exciting. And I think that it's been interesting just seeing the swings from pre-season where we saw, I remember I think Alex and I spoke about sort of like which teams we expect to struggle and things like that and how much that's flipped as well because some teams like had a nightmare in testing and really turned things around. Um, I think of like Alpha and Alpine, they really came on a lot stronger than I think than than anticipated. And teams like Mercedes, I mean, I think even in testing, everyone's like, oh, they do this every year saying they're not going to be very good and then they come out and win the first race. And then they genuinely weren't as good as Red Bull and Ferrari. So uh, yeah, I think it's been, it's been a really good season for Formula One so far. I think that, yeah, if we had that kind of title fight that we had last year between um, Leclerc and Verstappen, that'd be really, really exciting. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, it's not not looking that way right now. But I think F1 itself has done everything it could. I think can be very pleased with the results. So driver ratings over the course of the 13 events. Max Verstappen, number one. Charles Leclerc is the number one driver, according to the reader uh, averages. And in terms of your half-term kind of re-ranking, is, he, is Max still top? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, 
that's the recent change, isn't it? We we've been having this discussion, sort of. You know, Leclerc was away with it. You know, the the seven poles in particular, the management, uh, the the measure he had over Carlos Sainz, all like the the metrics we used to determine this. He was coming out on top. His blemish was the spin in Imola, losing third place, and then along comes France, un unaided error biffed it into the wall driver error sort of you know slam dunk on that one a catastrophic mistake and yes Verstappen's not been perfect he comes out on top of this but uh, let's think spinning at Barcelona uh, and again uh, as we record this uh, last weekend in Hungary and yes it's to do with Ferrari's strategic and reliability shortcomings but they haven't cost wins so the days when Verstappen spun it so thinking of um, uh, when obviously last weekend in Hungary and also when he uh, when he dropped the car in Spain Okay, he was helped enormously by Ferrari's engine exploding and widening another strategy error in the other, but he still won those races. Leclerc, obviously, huge error, headline error, buried the car in the wall, no coming back from that, race squandered. And that was potentially, we'll, we'll come to think of that as a real key point in a in the title race when I think he went from potentially, if he had maintained that to the flag, he would have had a 30 second gap. He came away with a uh, 30 point gap, sorry. He came away for a 60, so it doubled in the space of the race. And it's just, it's so catastrophic. I, I was just debating with myself, as you do, quite a sad monologue. But um, whether actually so far in the season, yes, we've had the massive sh- uh, shunts for Schumacher Latifi, but perhaps in terms of context, that's the biggest error we've had this season. Mm. And how do you feel about how his season... Um uh, has gone in terms of at the beginning of the season it was either you know hero or zero it was either you know finishing first or not scoring points at all and, and how the season has come on you know settling into that role of being a world champion uh, I think he's excelled in that. I think we've seen Max take another step forward this year. And I think Christian Horner said after the race on Sunday in Hungary, it was the first time he's known Max to be quite cautious and measured in his approach. And I think we've seen maybe that little extra maturity, I think, from him. Um, we know last year in the fight with Hamilton, he was known for those that maybe quite desperate lunges at times. We've not really seen any of that this year. The wheel-to-wheel racing between him and the clerk has been much cleaner. And I think that Max has done very well to pick up good points, even on days where he's not been the quickest driver or they've had the quickest car and I think Vostria has been the perfect example of that Red Bull did not have the car to win that race but Max still came home in second and picked up the points you look at a race like Hungary Ferrari didn't have the car to win that race the clerk finished sixth like it's just things like that that is the difference between the two of them right now Max has made I mean he's not been perfect there's been there's been errors um, even in Hungary with the spin with um, Spain as well there have been mistakes but he has been largely very, very clean. And I think we've really seen him, yeah, grow into this sort of like world champion mould, which is quite nice to see. I think of, I think a bit of, maybe a bit like Sebastian Vettel. Like he won his first championship in 2010, in very dramatic fashion. It was a bit of a rough and ready season. Whereas then coming into this year, sorry, coming into 2011, Seb just took another step forward. And I think we've seen that from Max. He was brilliant last year, don't get me wrong. But this year we've just seen him have that extra measure, I think, about him. I'm I'm going to disagree with you ever so slightly. I think in certain ways he has definitely stepped up. For example, we haven't seen the outrageous moves that we saw last year. We have seen a little bit still of questionable decision making specifically yeah the end at Silverstone I think there are also a few moments where um, early on with Leclerc in that race where by the letter of the law he was entirely correct but he was still very bullshit fair enough you know that's that's, that's Max Verstappen to a T but that did seem to be a weird one like yeah he was on a recovery drive there but why he felt the need to defend so aggressively bearing in mind that was a race where Ferrari had totally stuffed it for Leclerc in terms of winning the race ahead of him Um, but also with Max 
there are surprising, disappointing notes to his season, but it's actually it's it's nuanced and it wraps in Perez as well, right? If we think of that street race uh, run, particularly Monaco uh, and Azerbaijan, Max was well in terms of the, the pure results. He's blown away in Monaco, and he wins in Azerbaijan. But it's not as simple as that because basically what what you'd expect and what has largely come out and what has largely happened since they've improved the car is that Max is totally on top of Perez. But there he wasn't because he was undone by the fact that the low the, the ground effect cars aren't very good in low speed corners. He doesn't like the understeer and that's made worse by the the front tires on, on the Pirelli's not being uh, not being it's not that they're up to standard. It's basically when they had the mule cars for last year that it, the data didn't say that this understeer was going to be a thing. So it's there. Matt's couldn't cope with that as you would have expected him to do and that enabled Perez to get in front of him but actually this whole oh Perez is having a mega season and, and look at what he's doing there I personally think that's 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 not the correct look because Verstappen was on course to qualify ahead of him in Monaco when Perez crashed now that's a big error from Perez but it saved his session Max should have qualified ahead if everything plays out on, as it did on Sunday he wins the Monaco Grand Prix and it's very different but it's still it's still weird that he allowed that to happen at that point. I think the difference with Leclerc was that he got this new car and he got on top of it immediately. Carlos Sainz took a long time to do it. And there have been times recently where Sainz has been able to get ahead of Leclerc. And you, it makes me wonder whether... Not, well, it demonstrates that Sainz is very good at recovery, but maybe Leclerc's head is starting to drop. And that's also a factor which I'm sure we're going to come on to. You've got, I think you've got to take that into consideration when it comes to, to things like the, the Paul Ricard error, which I'm not get, I think I agree with you. That, what is the biggest error of the season? But Max hasn't had to fight against his team. Like, that, it's, not, it's not like, you know, Leclerc's going rogue with Ferrari, but he's got that in the back of his mind to cope with, whereas Red Bull have just delivered. Yeah. And they and and they will, and it's 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 a similar story with Mercedes. Ferrari really have let Leclerc down. And I think that has impacted his driving. And can we talk a little bit about consistency as well to finish off on Max? Because until Hungary, when the team let him down in terms of qualifying, he hadn't started a race uh, off the front two rows of the grid. So although he might not have always excelled in qualifying, it seems like his consistency this year, if it hasn't always been obvious at the time, when you look back halfway through or at the summer break, uh, his qualifying results, he was always there or thereabouts to put himself, apart from Hungary, in a position to then go and either get the win or challenge. So a bit a bit on consistency, if anyone's got any thoughts on that, and maybe a bit on on his racecraft and things like tyre management as well. There's been races like where Miami or, uh, you know, he's made tyres work where others didn't so kind of moving into that role that Lewis Hamilton gets a lot of credit for which is as he matured as a driver being able to really work with this era of tyres so any anyone want to chip in with thoughts on that well I can talk about his his qualifying runs and the consistency is there because he's obviously operating at such a high level the reason he's not quite been uh, challenging Leclerc so relentlessly is you can put in a large part down to the machinery so that is the RB18 certainly started this season, I think it was between 10 and 20 kilos over the minimum weight limit, which is 798 kilos, dry car and driver included. That's obviously come down now with upgrades, but it's still over. And the way that works is obviously it's heavier. So, you know, it, 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 it takes more to get it around a corner, but it particularly comes to a head in the final stint of a race and in qualifying, because that's when the car is at its lightest. So fuel is burnt off. So that weight is over the limit contributes a greater percentage so that's where he's most exposed against the Ferrari and then it just comes back to the way he, he manages his tyres like like Alex is saying with, with the Pirellis he, th- there's been a general struggle with temperatures through 
through a lot of them. But he, he's he's actually, you know, Perez, his teammate, is a renowned tyre whisperer. It's almost what he, he sort of... Uh, uh, based his career around at the early especially like 2011 2012 when these chocolate tyres first came in but he's actually dropped the ball in those areas that's why in Baku uh, the team uh, said get out of the way Sergio let Max come through it's because during the safety car he let his tyres drop too much and then they turn to like granite and they just behave really differently and, and Verstappen has nailed that but again, uh, certainly since the upgrade, that's a shortcoming with the RB18 the way it behaves, it, its tyres behave compared to the F175 so I think What's impressed me so much is that there are the flaws there in the car. It is difficult to distinguish at times between driver and car, but I think he's doing a better job of driving around those. Well, so just on the tyre management, I think that was something that's always kind of been underrated in Verstappen's game. I think there's like, if you look at some of the races in 2020, that Mercedes car is going to go down. The W11 is one of the greatest cars of all time. Head of the Belgian Grand Prix, go back and watch what it did two years ago. It's just unbelievable. Max is the only one that could keep up with them. And he's not like, 30 seconds behind he's he's only 10 seconds behind which is I mean it sounds a lot but it's still a phenomenal achievement and a lot of that was to do with the fact that okay maybe he found it a little bit boring not being not being able to push but he was he's very good at that and I think uh, that served him well in races like Miami where Ferrari's weakness there was exposed but he was better as Matt says than Perez in Baku which surprised a lot of people so yeah fair play to him any final thoughts on Max we're seeing I think a driver <laughs> evolve into more and more of his greatness I think the legacy he's building I mean he's already in what 20, 20 odd wins like he's yeah. gonna he's gonna blow past so many records like Lewis's records are impressive but they're not safe like the way Max is going he's already got 8 wins this season the record's 13 for a year and I know we're getting into longer seasons and stuff like that yeah. but um, yeah we're seeing I think the start of um, someone growing into uh, a lot of record making double world champion is a, a heck of a thing to achieve for any any driver so that is rarefied air he's breathing there let's move on this is interesting second place in the autosport average driver ratings george russell with an 8.31 and the reader average 8.11 and yet george is uh fourth a hundred points off. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Uh, Max in, in the championship standings. Um, and another driver where we talk about consistency hasn't finished outside the top five. Sometimes those performances are a bit under the radar. Silverstone, obviously the exception. They wouldn't let him uh, restart much to his uh, annoyance. Uh, but apart from Silverstone, enormously consistent. Now, Matt, where have you got George Russell at the minute? Second in our, our half term report in the kind of rejig that you've done, knowing what we know. We've we put him fourth, so obviously behind Leclerc. Championship order, is that right? Uh, yeah, he's fourth championship yeah, order. Behind yeah, behind Leclerc and behind Hamilton. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that, yes, he's got some great results. Obviously, the consistent run of top five results. But And I understand why they look so impressive, because we know that car is bad. But it is reliable. And so when Ferrari are dropping the ball, when Carlos Sainz has a stinker, which he did in the early part of the season... They're there to pick up the pieces, and so you've got to you've got to work that out against how impressive a job he is doing. And like I say, at the race by race, when we were looking at these originally, we we're thinking, well, yeah, he has put Hamilton in the shade a little bit, but we now know that's because he was given the the easier car to drive. So I I think that explains some of the difference why we perhaps dragged him down a bit. But that's not to say we have a downer. It's been a hugely impressive season, and. Man, he's going up against a seven-time world champion. No one expects him to come in. And actually, this is a bit of a wider point. He'd be a bit of a fool if he came in in his first season and tried to upset the established pecking order. So I think he's done a sublime job. But it's us equally holding our... It's not us saying we know better than our readers necessarily. It's us taking a step back and going, actually, what we thought at the time... 
I think in 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 the moment was was accurate, and we we try so hard with these drive ratings, but I think also holding our hands up and go bigger picture here, we probably need to just have a little reassessment there. And the, the key thing here is, as Matt said earlier, is that Hamilton's highs are higher than Russell's. So, for example, like that race recovery in Spain, the pace there was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, Lewis in Hungary just at the weekend, tremendous. Uh, and, and again, at Paul Ricard, that's yeah, it went a little bit under the radar, but he was he was terrific there. And, and that was a real example of why Perez is down the order in our in our averages because it's it's the comparison to the teammates, and, and Lewis led the line there. So, yeah, I think that's uh, that's why uh, Lewis has, has got to be ahead. I'm sure we're going to come on to him in a minute, but. Yeah, fantastic for Russell. And what's been really interesting is that lots of people, you know, you know, in 2020 and, and 2021, we're saying, yep, yeah, Russell's as mega as we expected him to be in Formula One. Everyone's like, well, he's in a Williams. How can you say that? How can you compare? And now he's in a Mercedes and he's doing exactly the same thing and delivering. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, he's like, it's almost like we know what we're talking about. Say that pole position is a case in point of what we're talking about. Is yeah. that Carlos Sainz had purple first sector made a mistake in the second sector, purple third sector. So his peaks are better in the fastest car. Russell had three personal best sectors, so green, green, green. So did the best he could in a slower car and was there to pick up the pieces. So that's actually a prime a prime example of what we're trying to say about yeah. Russell. Okay. And, and race, just very quickly, Racecraft as well. Remember that Spanish Grand Prix fight with oh, Verstappen? Max, yeah. He gave as good as he got, or uh, you know, as good as you'd, he'd expect to get from Verstappen. He can, he can do it. He can really do it, Russell. Yeah. George Russell, your thoughts, Luke, on his season? Well, if I may plug this month's issue of GP Racing you may, magazine, which you may uh, plug it. has, yeah, uh, do because it's, it's got some of my work in it. Uh, so, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very, very good issue. Um, it's uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Keith, <Q. laughs> and it, it's it's about George and his uh, start with Mercedes, and I think it's. I think I've said it's like the idea of oh is George Britain's next world champion that's not a new like I've written that feature before but in the context of this Mercedes season how he has started with the team I think it becomes a, a new conversation and yeah he has is as good as what we expected but it is also how he's adjusted to that new environment and he has become I think he's just taken another step forward and yeah I think Hungary was brilliant just what we saw him do on Saturday that fight with Max in Spain yeah that is what I think one of the big moments of the season where we went oh hang on like George is he, he's here now like he's fighting at the front he's able to give as good as he gets against a driver of Max's calibre so yeah he's been brilliant this season and uh, I know sort of looking ahead to the end of the year and like the Autosport Top 50 that you guys will put together George is going to be very very high up there I think if he uh, continues at this current rate he's added five trophies to the Mercedes uh, trophy cabinet this year but none of them is uh, the big one for getting the top step what do you reckon how long until he wins his first race with Mercedes and what will it take to win that is he going to do that on his own talent and pace and the Mercedes coming good or is it going to be one of those results that relies on somebody ahead retiring what do you think I think it can be done on merit yeah. I think as we go into the second half of this season particularly with the technical directive coming in for Spa there's sort of questions about how that's going to adjust the um, pecking order at the front and yeah Mercedes they're clearly getting around the issues they've had with this car the bouncing issues is they're, they're under control now so I think it's we've case forgotten of, about that as well by the yeah, way exactly. because it was the start of the season yeah. obviously there's the fa- that famous shot of Lewis uh, Azerbaijan not getting out of his car for a long time which took a lot of headlines but people forget both of those cars in the first few races were causing the drivers pain yeah yeah it's been a tricky tricky start and they've still managed to come around to that and the team has worked it out and now it's a case of okay how do we find more performance now how do we add to that so now i i reckon both mercedes drives will win a race before the end of the season i think that it will be 
I reckon it will be on merit, but also, yeah, those races where maybe Ferrari and Rebel do drop the ball ever so slightly and it plays towards Mercedes' favour, as I think we saw in Hungary. I thought the pace on that Sunday was, was very, very good. So, yeah, I think they're in a really good spot now. And talking I, more I'm and more. slightly more pessimistic. Oh, okay, go on. In terms of... I, the key point there that you made, Luke, is the changes coming for Hungary, right? So the underfloor yeah. tests at the FIA, everything they're looking at, the changes to the, uh, to the holes around the plank and, and the bits that suggested have been moving up and down at certain teams if that has a massive impact then yeah Mercedes you'd expect to be right back in the game they may have to make their own changes as well or they may be making them uh, as we speak well you know they've only got a few days before the before the shutdown comes comes into effect um but into it but say just let because at the moment we can only talk about what we've seen so far and I don't think on pure pace either of them can get there even Hamilton I don't, I don't think they can win a race I think that people were talking them up in Paul Ricard I never thought that was likely to be to be to be a realistic place where they could uh, could have won and they were a massive way behind. That said, Red Bull have had reliability problems. So they, if 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 Verstappen has a reliability problem when Ferrari inevitably messes up the race for its drivers when Perez is absent, that's when they're going to be in there. And and we, we've seen the last couple of years there's always at least one really really crazy race. And it wasn't quite Monaco because that was a wet weather race. You can't really overtake there. There will be something happening later on in the season, surely. So that's where. You'd expect with a reliable car, with one that isn't porpoising and bouncing around so horrendously, that's where they'll take their opportunities. And I think it's also worth noting that they have improved, certainly, you know, since Silverstone, Austria, France, Hungary, they've been on this upward trajectory. But as Friday and Hungary shows, they're not infallible. They still get it wrong massively. And then suddenly the car's bouncing, it's slow, it's second off the pace. And then that means the first day when they're banking all that data is, is lost to ruin. And they're relying on radical overnight changes for Russell to get that pole and then not knowing how the car will behave. So... They might be presented at an opportunity when, and I know this is harsh, but I think for Hamilton and Russell to win, you need three drivers not to be up there. And okay. Perez is, I, I would not have Perez among that list. But if they're there to capitalise, they need to have a flawless weekend and they're still not having those with that difficult car. Okay, let's talk about flawless weekends then. And we get on to Charles Leclerc, third place in the Autosport driver ratings, 8.15 average score. The readers put him First, this is uh, two places different, 8.43. So, how does that compare to how you've rejigged the order mid-season? We put him second, and in terms of the way we're doing this feature specifically for the mag, we're giving him a school-type grade. So, he's an A to Max Verstappen's A+, but he's also on an A with Hamilton and Russell. So, in that ballpark, but of the A's... Some animals are more equal than the others. I think Leclerc's right. A is a better A than probably Hamilton and Russell's. For that, that makes no sense at all. But uh, I, I know I know what you mean by it because what a season he's had. So we we you know we begin in Bahrain, won the race, fastest lap pole position, and then second place, fastest lap, then Australia, won the race, fastest lap pole position, and what an amazing start to the season and. And we have a season on our hands now. Ferrari have a great car and a driver who is delivering. And then it all starts to fall apart a little bit. It's been fascinating to watch as being impartial and also a bit heartbreaking if you know if you have you know if you're a nice person and want want him to do well uh, but what are your thoughts Alex on on Leclerc well I, I wrote a column I think it might have been after the Austrian Grand Prix maybe it was just before then but it was around there where I said Leclerc is producing one of the great Formula One seasons and I absolutely stand by that because up to that point it was and the only thing that sets him apart and the reason why he comes down the number in the ratings why he is behind Max Verstappen now at the half-term report that Matt's compiling because we've been through this together and agreed on it is the error in France no one we've, we said it earlier in the podcast it's the biggest error of the season Verstappen just hasn't done that 
Perry, you know, Russell and Hamilton haven't made those massive errors either. But it just it it is it it's it was almost sort of wrenching for everyone watching it because it was just like how has it how has that happened you know i've spoken earlier about how he i think he is compensating for the team's deficiencies but also this is i think this is leclerc's story like up to now look at all those accidents in 2019 look how hard he is on himself we saw it in imola it was nowhere near as big a mistake and i don't think i almost he's almost you sort of like well at least he was trying he was trying to catch perez you know the ferrari isn't as good at that point, you know, that weekend, you know, there's a clutch problem that, that, that the team have talked about. They've been fixing lately. That really hurt them in the wet. And Imola, he drops behind uh, the Red Bull early on. But yeah, it's it was it was a brilliant season. And it still will be a brilliant season, but it's just not going to be the all-time great season now because of that error. Even if he'd gone valiantly, won the race in France, still lost the title to Max Verstappen by 80-odd points because of his team's errors and the unreliability that's fantastic that is that is genuinely one of the, the greatest seasons you're, you're ever going to see right now it still can be really good but it's not going to it's got that massive error in it and you, you can't really come back from that yeah no it's and I think that is what's spoiled Leclerc's season I think you guys are absolutely on the money there and it's it's a shame because he had been performing so so well and despite all of the issues sort of Ferrari on strategy and reliability and things like that he was still performing he was still at a very high level and again we've seen those championship fights in the past that kind of tail off a little bit but you say okay but the driver himself did all that they possibly could and for Leclerc that was that was bang on the money and then yeah you see France come along and it's just like it was such a it was such a sloppy error and I guess that because that goes down as a is it a major mistake on your guys rating so what, what does that cap him at uh, it was a three or a four a I think you it, gave it, it was a four because uh, he got pole position sure, so yeah. he did because again and this is something that when we talk about drive ratings I mean, I'm in particular always pains to point out especially to people on social media like well why well for example you know why wasn't why wasn't Verstappen a 10 in Hungary but it's because we take qualifying into account and Matt you quite correctly pointed out if his bank lap had been better in Q3 he wouldn't have qualified 10th yeah. so therefore it's not and also, also to be very clear it's not a perfect weekend because of course that's very subjective it's a maximum score so he can't score the maximum because he didn't maximise his weekend he cost himself places there so that's why Leclerc got a four because he did do something very impressive which was stay ahead of that rocket ship down the straight Red Bull <laughs> and then and then he ruined it and I, and I put that in the, in the, in the rating for him there but we haven't got a down on Leclerc so there's three performances I want to point out okay, okay. Australia it's possibly the most dominant performance by any driver this week, uh, this season so far, the way he blitzed everything that, yeah. there. Australia, which I would say Leclerc is probably not in the top five most intelligent drivers in Formula One. <laughs> but the wow. way... the way I he, know the metric he used to carry. <laughs> the way he outsmarted Verstappen, like chasing for those DRS games was brilliant. And Austria, he didn't get a nine because he didn't qualify on pole and then he was too you know, embroiled with battling signs, which is both a strategic error and also his fault in the sprint race. But overtaking in, yes, in a quicker car, but overtaking Verstappen three times like he did in Austria, that was such a good performance. So there is, is, is that, you know, Max has had fewer errors and his, his baseline's very high. Leclerc probably has the higher peaks, but also also the, the lower troughs. And, and in a way, that is the Ferrari cliche, which is hero or zero. That And, and I don't want to fall back on that tired kind of cliche with Ferrari, but as a team, they've done it to themselves. And as a driver as well, after 13 races, seven pole positions. And more than half the races this year, he's been the one leading the field away. And yet it's when you get into racecraft and race trim and race strategy that it seems to be the difference because he qualified so well 
or not, you know, or poorly. His racecraft in terms of his wheel-to-wheel stuff is the best of anyone yeah. out, of all, out of all of them. What he did at Silverstone around the outside, Lewis Hamilton into Cops on yeah. those older tyres is, yes. is the move of the season. It's phenomenal. Yes. So he's, he's passed on Russell down the outside into Turn 1 at Hungary. It was absolutely terrific. So I think his, his, his racecraft wheel-to-wheel fighting, superb, his own propensity to make errors as he's always made, is what hurts him. Um, but Martin, you'll know this because we're doing the second series of uh, Kevin Turner's and, and now other people's top 10 drivers at certain teams well one day I'm going to do top 10 most heartbreaking Charles Leclerc losses and basically <laughs> there's going to be a lot to pick basically from all of them come oh, in 2022 no. you got Bahrain 2019 of course and then you're into ranking these seasons oh and of course Monaco 2021 but again that that was his fault that that, that demonstrates it that's, that's that it's still he still hasn't made that progress from making those rare but still when they come catastrophic errors that just happen in that direct comparison just doesn't make should we move on any more thoughts? Okay, next, Lewis Hamilton. We rank him fourth in the Autosport driver ratings with uh, a clean 8.00. The readers rate him fourth as well, 7.55. And where have we rejigged him, if at all? Uh, we put him just up one spot so he's uh, third. behind Hamilton. But as we talk about, the Based bigger thing there is on, swapping with Russell. Yeah, because of the, the experiments they were doing that we now know on his setup and his car. Uh, okay, so that makes sense. Let's talk a little bit about Lewis's season, defined early in the season, like I've mentioned already, with the bouncing and, uh, and, and the porpoising. Um, and also, I guess, the storyline around him coming out of the end of last season, missing out on the World Championship, deciding to stay in Formula One, and then having a really, really difficult start to the season despite appearing on the podium and being a point scorer. Yeah, it was interesting being there in in Bahrain in that press conference because um, it was one of those, we know, Luke, it's not one of those races that's wildly attended by the media, even though it was the first race. Um, More people there for the race and the test. Uh, Sadly, not Matt, though. You're back back in London by that point. Um, But uh, yeah, with with, with Lucy, he was was, was in the room stretching his back out. You know, he was touching his toes. He was mocking the Ferrari drivers for not being able to do that or not being able to do it so easily, things like that. (laughs) So it was a real, it was a real good, uh, it was a real, um, really interesting insight into, already you could see right the the impact of the porpoising and, and ultimately that changes the story of his season completely think back to when they launched the w13 and he came out he was he came out swinging he was like if you, if you thought yeah. specifically referencing the end of 2021 his races in brazil in saudi arabia in qatar and in abu dhabi up to when the safety car comes out if he, he basically said it well he said it outright if, if you if, if you thought what i did at the end of last year was good wait until you see this year and it was totally destroyed by the, the porpoising the, the momentum's all taken out from under him the Mercedes performance as, as I said earlier even right now and maybe maybe it's better after Belgium but it's, it's still not good enough for him to be winning races and winning championships but I think potentially there is a school of thought based on what we've heard in the paddock what, what listening to Lewis's words himself by having to work so hard and by having this you know this new impetus of changing the team around that might actually prolong his career ever so slightly I genuinely could see if if it had been say it's an exact repeat of 2021 Mercedes versus Red Bull and he wins the eighth world title I think maybe he walks away at that point I think that's that he 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 clearly wants that record he clearly wants to um avenge what happened at the end of 2021 because from his point of view it, it was stolen from him and I think I, for, to a certain extent it's absolutely right the, the problem is it's like well Verstappen didn't do anything wrong it was the circumstances the shocking circumstances of Abu Dhabi that led to that but actually, I still think that's the case. I think he wants to carry on until he can do that. And he's been refreshed by the fact that he's, he's you know, the things that he's doing with Mercedes 
that's what he's got to have done this season. And he, and he spoke about it. He said, yeah, I'm going to step away and I've still got fuel in the tank. But at the moment, I am refreshed and I have got that fuel in there. So he's not going away anytime soon. And that's, I think, Formula One's better for it. We're not used to seeing Lewis Hamilton qualifying 10th and 13th, etc. But um, he didn't at any point turn on the team. Uh, he didn't at any point, you know, the ultimate professional. Clearly, they've not given him the machinery he needs. It is a team sport. It's, you know, it's not a, you know, not a ball sport. You know, so you do need that machinery. And he, he hasn't had that. Toto Wolff, I thought, was was very good at supporting his driver and drivers. And he took the flak. He was the figurehead. Toto came out and said, you know, both on the radio, which he knows is going to be repeated on the world feed, you know, we are not giving you the car you deserve. And also in the statements to you guys um, as well. So Lewis has been a real pro through all of this and kept his head up. Completely. And I think you'd expect nothing less from him given his his career and, and track record. And I think he's, when he says like, we win and lose as a team, it may sound a bit cliched, but it's true. Like that's how he sees it. And when they were presented with this situation at the start of the season. It was right, how do we rally together and work together and get ourselves out of this? And there have been painful moments. You think of, yeah, the Q1 exit in Saudi Arabia or Imola when he was stuck toiling behind Alex Albon and Pierre Gasly outside of the points. Like, that's not Lewis Hamilton territory whatsoever. But they've worked and worked and worked. They fought back. He's won this really good run of form now, five podiums on the bounce. Spain was the big turning point when, yeah, he had that brilliant fight back through the field where his pace was absolutely like sensational given the the sort of issues they've been having so I think we've seen Lewis again like it's if he wins that eighth title whether it's next year or the year after that or whatever he does in the future I think this sort of period now where they're in that rebuilding phase and sort of working things out with the car and everything that's going to be a really important part of that story so yeah I think it's it's been good to see Lewis sort of fighting at the no I I say peak of his powers because I think he's doing all that he can yeah um but uh yeah bringing that team back up to the top yeah and it's what he's saying as well so obviously you know motivating by saying oh you guys at factory thank you so much for what you're doing but also you know again it's it's really hard to isolate but if it has been his experimental setups which have helped isolate you know what is really the problem with the W13. We know it's been, you know, as riding as high as it will go to eliminate it. If it's his sacrifices of, you know, uh, provided at least an answer or light at the end of the tunnel to explain the massive upward trajectory in form, he deserves an enormous amount of credit for that because it's his. he's been a sacrificial lamb in that and they've relied on his experience. So as much as it's been the design team back at Brackley going, you know, this is where it's not correlated between uh, the, the wind tunnel test and what actually happens in reality his input in that has been invaluable. Yeah, and interesting um, that all great eras come to an end, but his doesn't seem to be. Uh, you know, we've talked uh, on, on recent podcasts in the driver market last week on our podcast about things like Alonso and Vettel and knowing when it's time to stop and it's very rare to do a Rosberg and stop at the top. Um, but but with Hamilton, again, you, you know, if you go through eras of domination, Schumacher era, Vettel era, uh, Hamilton era, you end up with that lazy criticism that well it's just the car so in some way in a few years time we look back at Lewis Hamilton when he's not racing this period has almost and you wouldn't wish it on anyone has almost done him good because he's had some adversity I think we sometimes we like an adversity story especially if he can start winning races and even next year challenge for a title again it it kind of gets rid of that and okay at Mercedes he had that uh, battle with Rosberg but still, once you go on a long run, you get that criticism of, well, are you that good? Like Vettel had it. Are you that good? It's all the car, isn't it? So maybe this could be a good thing, Alex, for... I know he, he wouldn't want it, but it could be a good thing. 
Yeah, I think it 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 would show his other talents, as as Matt was alluding to. But I think um, also with the it's just the car thing. It's always more nuanced because to a certain extent. It is, it is the car like the Mercedes is massively off the base of the Red Bull and the Ferrari but it's what you do with it that counts and you know I think early on mate Lewis was made to look worse than he was and right now he's probably making potentially making it look better than it is in some circumstances and I think in terms of the success run that he's been on they've been really complete weekends things that Russell hasn't quite been able to do just yet and he's still showing his class he's showing it off the track as well with his statements and with with the things that he's putting together um, and what a run I mean he hasn't been off the podium since what Azerbaijan so it's 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 going very well now, if we don't spend as long on the next set of drivers on, on on this podcast, it's not because they're any you know better or worse, but simply the interest is in in, in the battle at the front. Uh, some of them are a little bit worse. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Lando Norris, who we put in fifth place, and the average of the Autosport driver ratings, Lando seven point three eight. The readers pretty much the same, seven point four two. Near as damn it, what have we done with our rejig halfway through the season? Kept him in the Lando. same position, same fifth, same position, but again by the school grade, he. He's, he's just one one below sort of Russell and Hamilton and uh, I can explain a little bit of that and it it will also preview what we've done with Ricardo you know when your teammates your biggest benchmark if you're if you're mastering him that's going to put you up the order because that's a, you know a huge part of what we go on as well as you know individual performances and then it also makes Ricardo look a lot worse than he is but um yeah for what Norris has done with the McLaren it's a clear backward step you know this this scrap for fourth in the constructors between McLaren and Alpine Alpine has a better car just can't execute a race or strategy but the Mc, the McLaren is is not as good it's it's and it's strange it's inversed uh, all the all the previous problems with McLaren where you know their their particular Achilles here was low speed corners here it's a medium and high speed where it sort of falls apart which is why you know the unexpected podium in Imola is is so impressive because it's it's a great result in a not very or not groundbreaking car and on that, I had an interview with Lando in Hungary and we talked about his season so far and everything for our content that's going to come up on autosport.com over the summer. And he, he was laughing and saying, like, it still blows my mind. I finished on the pony at Imola with that car. Like, I remember speaking to him after Bahrain. He was so, like, down in the dumps, like, oh, it's going to be a long season. And then uh, Canada, they had another pretty difficult weekend. He was like, yeah, well, like, every weekend when we do well, it's just, like, luck basically and we've not got quite everything right we still don't know where we're going and it is such a it is such a tricky car so it does speak to how good his season has been that he's still been able to tame it and get these good results and because he said it doesn't suit my driving style whatsoever so if this is what he's doing with uh, a more troublesome car when they get everything hooked up maybe around Lando a bit more that's really exciting he's committed to the team long term that's him now he's a McLaren driver for the foreseeable can McLaren give him the car that he needs well, that's 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 the key point and the key problem, isn't it? Because McLaren's facilities, you know, we were talking about in the previous episode of the podcast about uh, Alpine has been through its rebuilding. Aston Martin is still doing that. McLaren's in the middle of it as well. Like its new t- wind tunnel isn't online yet. Um, the team is is still rebuilding, but I think it has had a had a shock. I think it, it's doing worse than it expected. We know that the things that went wrong in the Bahrain test, the the brakes not not working uh, as they should have done, and all that added up and cost it a lot of like the chunk of the season effectively because they're still feeling sort of shock of it when things didn't get off to that smooth start um and yeah that's ultimately that that is that is what it comes down to i think i almost maybe like thinking through it looking back through his season i almost feel like we're slightly being harsh with b plus because what else is really is he supposed to do but just hasn't had that like you just don't get the sense that it's him grabbing it if you see what i mean whereas in the past it sort of was maybe it was slightly easier 
last season in terms of the fact that you know the Ferrari wasn't in the title fight so you know he had more opportunity to shine but yeah you just, you just get the sense that it's just oh, it's still it's, it's almost sort of plateaued rather than got worse or anything like that our last lap Lando thing seems to have gone you know that excitement around oh, what could he, <laughs> yeah. he do oh not much you know but what but, but what I will just say in his defence just, just in isolation just one race Spanish Grand Prix when he had tonsillitis and yeah. you saw him retching on the grid yeah. like to you know I spoke to him about that in Canada and he said well it was like getting it he was like I just don't want to get, I don't want to have not tried finished the first lap right I've done the first lap do the next lap do the next lap and eventually does a whole Grand Prix distance and that tremendous but arguably taking in isolation the most impressive performance of all season considering what he was up against Okay. All right. Let's move on and let's talk about Carlos Science is a race winner, uh, finishing sixth in the Autosport driver ratings on average, seven points to three. About the same for the reader average in sixth place as well. And what have we done with any rejigs? Uh, we put him in sixth place. And so the same, yeah. yeah. And the same grade as Russell. And basically, the narrative around the start of the season was yes, yeah, Signs was was dropping a ball. Um, okay, he was punted into the gravel by Ricardo at Imola, but you know he was off the pace. He was uncomfortable with this new car. Said so he felt way happier with the old last year's car which was much slower uh, 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 and Australia you know burying in a gravel and retiring yes bad mistakes but one he's on a great run of form obviously that's headlined by the win at Silverstone but Austria Paul Ricard was a brilliant performance again last weekend and last weekend sort of encapsulates it a little bit is that when Leclerc had a bad qualifying lap Sainz got second okay it was behind it was behind Mercedes when pole was achievable but he's there or thereabouts whereas so they've converged whereas the gap between Perez and Verstappen has opened up and opened up so that that's why it's it's a recent form it's not a recency bias but it's a recent recent form which is why uh, he's he's sort of just about in that in that top category when you're up against Red Bull, are a team that clearly identify their number one driver and they want to go and win world championships for teams and constructors and Ferrari want to give drivers equal treatment, which is fair and understandable and I don't blame them for that. But is that necessarily how you win in Formula One? And do you destroy the man if you say, right, you're the number two driver now? In certain situations, it would have helped Ferrari. wouldn't necessarily have helped science, but I think at Silverstone, things like that. I think, yeah, you do... We talked about that very early on in the season with Sergio Perez and things like, you know, Saudi Arabia, uh, what happened in Spain, things like that. Yeah, you do run that risk, but it pays off it, it, in, these, in this ruthless game. Quite often it does. Um, with Carlos Sainz, I genuinely think maybe the most interesting character of 2022 yeah. so far, because what's really great about Sainz, I think he really, he really is very honest and he really explains a lot. And it's not... It's not that he gives the game away, but he he just fronts up to stuff in a way that you sort of wish other drivers would do a lot of the time. I would put him in my top five most intelligent F1 drivers. Wow, very good, very good. Um, great hair as well. You know, well, you know what I'm like when it comes to when it comes to hair. But anyway, because again, thinking back to that Bahrain press conference, Science just finished second. Ferrari's in the, in the title contention, and he sat there. He just looked absolutely miserable, yeah. and his words back that up. And, and he basically said, "This is my worst." Uh, I think I'm slightly paraphrasing here, but it's either my most difficult or my worst Ferrari weekend, where he'd finished second and team taking a one-two. You're like, "Well, what do you mean?" And basically, what he's getting at is he was like, "Charles can do things with the car that I can't," and it took him a long time to adapt to the new ground effect cars, especially what the Ferrari needed. And, yeah. and it comes down to fundamentally, particularly if you look at Verstappen and Leclerc. 
they will throw it in and they will handle it on the rear. And science quite, couldn't quite do that. It's, it's whether it comes to just do I need a little bit more actually throttle here just to just to get things under control or the way I'm braking ever so slightly different. And he just couldn't he couldn't get his head around it. And it took him a long time. But he got there and he's, he was brilliant in Canada when Leclerc obviously had his engine penalty down the order and, and science led the line. Um, but he was like, right, I just actually I need a few more races before I can actually say I've, I've really turned the corner here. But it was evident the next round in Silverstone, he was he was doing very well. He was caught out a little bit unfortunate. Porpoising in FP3, we could see that through uh, through Maggots and Beckett's. Um, but he still was in position and, and, and it ultimately came good for him. But um, also just very quickly, on, I have a little confession to make when it comes to Science's uh, ranking. Uh, hold my hands up, first time in two and a half years doing this. His rating is, completely, is wrong. It shouldn't have been a 10, it should have been probably an 8. Uh, because unfortunately I didn't spot he drove drove through the red light at Paul Ricard it was his fault that he got a five second penalty there so you know okay that, that's oh, I mean, wasn't well, quite go. as a catastrophic you know. error as Carlos Sainz's but you got you got you got to acknowledge these things and that's the reason why that's that's why we do these like half term rankings why we do the top 10 at the end of the year because I mean normally it's not as uh, as bad a mistake as that from my point of view but you do find other things out later on right um, but yeah with science it's because of that you know it's because of that gap early on in the year that he's further down the order but also he himself has been harmed by Ferrari think back to Australia he's first of all he's very unlucky in qualifying he was on to be up probably very close to Leclerc on the front row maybe when the red light comes out for Alonso's crash right then on the grid his steering wheel doesn't work and they give him another one and it's got the incorrect settings done I mean I'm sure it's a, a simple thing that can go wrong but that's the sort of thing you can't imagine Red Bull and Mercedes doing and it's another example of Ferrari uh getting things wrong for its driver yeah and it has been interesting to see his evolution through the season and now it does seem like he's getting into the groove a bit more with the Ferrari which it, which is good and he said for France like he was so frustrated by that grid penalty because he's like I feel like I'm at the best I felt all season with this and we saw that in the race when he was he was so so quick so I think it's going to be interesting what he does through the second half of this year and kind of as he gets stronger and more comfortable with the car but how that sort of goes against Ferrari maybe thinking oh hang on a minute have we actually got a shift more towards Leclerc if you want any chance of winning this championship or if that ship has already sailed which I think it has and I think that yeah he's he's really he has really performed well it's really good to see he's a, he's, a, he's a race winner this year um, but I think for Ferrari I think it's a bit too late for them to maybe be thinking let's back Leclerc because I think it's uh, yeah damage already been done on that front and, and that is just going up against a team that clearly picks a number one driver and clearly favours them in strategy calls and everything else um, Alpine let's talk about those Fernando Alonso we've put him in eighth on the average driver rating uh, with a 6.92 thoughts on uh, on what well, anything we've done with him and, and, and Fernan, uh, Fernando Alonso's season uh it, it, well, his average for the dry rating is identical down to like seven decimal places to Bottas. So they're both tied oh, on wow. seventh and eighth. So although we've put Alonso seventh on this on this list, again, they're, they're pretty much interchangeable. I've yeah. done, but I say he's obviously if it's Fernando Alonso making his own case, he'd be number one and a star, star, star. But I think seventh is fair. Sort of led the Alpine, uh, Alpine team. Certainly, the last what six races he's he's been on a, a mega run of form. Obviously, hungry. It was a strategy that absolutely kiboshed race, and you know they both got mugged that beautiful. But the Ricardo fact they made it work that yeah. was actually quite impressive. They did as well. make the yeah. hard tires work, yeah. And a couple, some DNFs earlier on in the season, but apart from that, seems to have been there or thereabouts at the end of the race. Now, when the flag is uh, is dropped, yeah. And it's it's funny, like he 
called out so much bad luck through the early part of the season. He did have a bit of bad luck, but um, there's a in-joke between me and Q called the, the Fernando Alonso tax, where everything is maybe about 10% greater than it actually is in, in truth. And What's the great one of Paul Ricard media pen? Oh, this is what I was about to say, yeah. yeah. So there was a moment earlier this season, I forget which race exactly, but he'd had a, a setback of some sort and he came into the media pen and he went, oh yeah, I can't believe all this bad luck. It must have cost me like 40 points this season, whatever. He goes around to the next broadcaster. Can't believe all this bad luck this season. It must have cost me about 50 points or whatever and it just got more and more and by the time he got to us oh it's cost me like 60 to 70 points this season it was it was just really interesting and I think there there is definitely credence to what Fernando's saying like he has lost a lot of points this season through bad luck and he's had some brilliant moments like in Canada in qualifying for example Australia qualifying had not been for that crash where would he have been um yeah so I think he's he's had a it's been nice to see him sort of performing so well and uh yeah and just interesting that we've got maybe that sort of punchy Fernando back again I always I can imagine you paying the Fernando Alonso tax quite a lot and perhaps I should <laughs> perhaps I should pay it a bit more as well uh, next Bottas uh, in our ratings uh, started the season picking up fifths and sixths uh, and doing pretty well dropped off as the season's gone on thoughts on Bottas from anyone that is strongly of an opinion of him uh, I I think he's done he's done a good job given that Alpha the updates have been have been few, few and far between of late and they've kind of tailed off I think in that midfield fight they started so strongly we know in pre-season I think it was their filming day when the, the porpoising issue became so severe and like and blew a hole in the, in the in the floor and they were like oh this is a pretty serious problem we've got here so for them to have recovered so well and been so quick is, is great and I think also Valtteri again I had a, another um, chat with him sort of our mid-season um, sort of summer content and everything he's just so happy like he's in a really really good place and he says he said it's been his most enjoyable season in Formula 1 to date despite all the success he's had with Mercedes and he just is very comfortable and I think can be more himself and he's out of the spotlight he's out of the shadow of, of Lewis Hamilton I think he's uh, really really performed very very well this season so I think that once Alpha maybe get a few more updates on that car and take some more steps forward hopefully we can see some of that early season season form coming back but he's been really impressive this year I think did produce the most uh, most embarrassing bit of driving of the season uh, that obviously very subjective but uh, in Miami where he was watching Russell and Hamilton fight, <laughs> fight in his mirrors and effectively drove into the wall didn't damage the car but he cost himself two positions to two Mercedes drivers and bearing in mind that I mean ultimately it is a big mistake because as we know now or we knew at the time the Alpha was the lightest car on the grid it was the closest to the weight limit the others are catching up and that's why Alpha slipped down the order so you really need right. to grab those big results when you can uh, I think a couple of things to acknowledge about us. Speaking to both him and his teammate, he's absolutely been a team player at the moment. He's he's almost taken on a mentor role, getting his getting his team up there. Joe's performed well, I think, to a, to a good standard. So the fact that. Bottas is still ahead of him you know the gap has come down from sort of half a second to a tenth or two but the fact Bottas is still ahead of him is why he scored well here I also want to add that Alfa Romeo had just such bad starts to see with the clutch and oscillations and whatever so the races where he started eighth and finished eighth that's included like falling down to 15th and he's had to put in really good race runs to recover the ground so that's that's again why why Bottas of the like mid-tier is one of the uh, mid-tier teams is one of the better performing drivers and his teammate Joe picked up some points this year. How do you think he's going this year? The way he worded it to me was, I've lived about 10 years worth of racing in half a season, which I think is very wow. true because he obviously had that elation of getting that 
point on debut in Bahrain and I, I remember the driver pen was where the drivers came out and met the physios and you could just see he was so drained and just so happy and delighted and it was it was a really lovely moment and he's had spots of bad luck this season and then obviously got that um yeah the, the, the brilliant points in uh, in, in Canada again and again a track that he'd not been to before it was a, a really really good drive and then that crash at Silverstone it's like to come back from that and deal with that in your rookie season and combine that with like all the doubt and sort of questions about him coming into this season and how he's cut out for Formula One and even he talks about racist abuse that he faced in pre-season as well like he's weathered a lot and he's come through I think really really well and the points gap to Bottas may be quite big but I think the, between the two of them on raw performance actually it's it's a lot smaller so I think he's earned his stripes and I really hope he stays there for next season. I think I think we have him slightly down the ranking purely because it gets really really congested yeah. but in the wider perception of Joe I think he's underrated by a lot of people because he's actually had a lot of bad luck in terms of car reliability I mean he's performing terrifically in Baku well ahead of Bottas and his car breaks down and without things like that he you know he might have had even more glittering results so I'm really really impressed considering this is his first year in Formula 1 and also comes across very well you know he's really good really good with us really open you know it's it's really nice dresses well and I would say that outside of the top three teams he's like Okay, so he's down in 14th, which is low down the order, and his grade on this is C minus, which I, you know, I wouldn't be too pleased if I got one back. But what the way to contextualise that is outside of the three teams, he's only behind Ocon as like the effective number two driver. So he's, you know, he's ahead of your ahead of your Schumacher, the you know Ricardo, whatever uh, Williams, uh, uh, AlphaTauri. So not like not an amazing result but and I, and I don't want to sound like I'm damning with faint praise but I think we've done him justice there uh, and just to talk teammates as we finish off the podcast uh, let's talk about teammate Ocon signing long time uh, long term with, with Alpine pretty pretty okay yeah you just know, okay again, it's, it's sort of damning with, with faint praise there as <laughs> exactly that solid yeah. the, the problem is is that Alonso has been has got, has got him in his pocket but hasn't been able to show it because of various things that have happened and you know, it's it's been. I think it's been a typical Ocon season. It's been up and down. It's also been away from the cameras a lot, and a lot of lot of teammate controversy. We particularly think to Hungary. It wasn't just into turn one. He had him off at the off the track at turn five. You know, he would say, you know, it was my corner, it's my right, so I won. But it's just a bit weird to do that with your teammate. Um, nevertheless, still a very very good Grand Prix driver, and I think does does Alpine a lot of favours having him there. And the other teammate we haven't mentioned yet is. Oh, go on, yeah. Daniel oh, Ricciardo. Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Finishing too often out of the points. Where has he been ranked by you guys? 17th. And again, not recency biased, but I rewatched his hungry qualifying lap. Like, he does not trouble an apex for the first half of a lap. He, he's. Mm. It's just. It's really. It's, it, you can see what's wrong in terms of on track. It's not like he's. Obviously, he's slow. He's got that deficit, but you can see what's wrong. It's not being get, gotten on top of, and that's what's, what's frustrating. And you know why McLaren would have signed him when they did, as I mentioned on a previous podcast, is you know, he was his star was in the ascendancy. Although you could have questioned that decision, that move to McLaren seemed so right at the right time. Um, and that's a whole other podcast of what's gone wrong there. But in terms of the season so far, how are you feeling about Daniel Ricciardo? Yeah, it's not been not been great no. <laughs> so it's been a bit of a it, it feels like history repeating itself and we know last year how he struggled and he took that summer to go away and he was very open at the end of the season about how he needed that summer to just like 
blow it off and just say, look, I don't need to think about Formula One for a month and just really reset. Came back for the second half of the season and was that much stronger. And yeah, he came back into the new campaign and we thought, right, are we going to see more of that Daniel who, who who never left, who won at Monza? And we've not. It's gone back to what we saw in the early part of last year and it's been similar similar kind of struggles. But he, like, I, I asked him, do you need that summer again just to not think about F1 for a few weeks? He was like, no, I don't feel as, as desperate for it. Like I feel sort of in, in quite content about things. And again, we've spoken about his future on, on um, the podcast before this, but it just seems like it, it's just not clicking. Like, and for all of the, oh, it's going to come good and we know where things are going wrong and we can find it. It's taken a long, long time to get any kind of progress and to see him at Lando's level because right now he just simply isn't. And I think 17th is about is about right. Yeah. I mean, it, again, it when you, th- you talk about driver ratings, when we do it every race, you've got to see what how did one... Uh, how did one driver compare to their teammate and Ricardo's nowhere near Norris and even when he is near him he's generally behind him or Norris had a problem that's the reason why Ricardo is ahead so it's just yeah really disappointing it harms ultimately it will harm his F1 legacy his reputation things like that Um, and it's disappointing because you know he's a very popular driver he's a very nice guy Um, but yeah it's just it is as as Matt said it's the corner entry and the braking it's the problems that were plaguing him last year even though the the ground effect car is totally different, as Norris and Ricardo have said, there are certain elements of what the McLaren does. Even Norris struggles with it. He's not. I don't think he finds it a particularly yeah. easy car to drive, but he can do it much better than Ricardo. So this is absolutely damning with faint praise. But if you look at the order, there's only a couple of drivers ahead of Ricardo that have had like a huge shunt. Ricardo has spared himself that. He hasn't fired himself off into the wall, but. It's not a long list of positives to Did take from the season. Practice in in Monaco, but at least it was in practice. Yeah. Didn't cost him a race result. Yeah. Uh, and he'll know that. He'll look at the, the traces uh, against his teammate and he'll know. And he's on, under no illusions about where he is slow. Formula One drivers have the most supreme confidence in their own ability. In, in their own head, they're all the best drivers on the grid. But at some point, you're going to be thinking, like, he, a, a dose of reality is going to hit him, isn't it? So. And, and bigger, like, twice we put him as our number one driver in the world. Two years we, we've done that for Ricardo. So having oh, really? him on 20th and 17th on this list is sad. Uh, yeah, it's a bit heartbreaking, isn't it? So, okay, and our final teammate we haven't talked about yet. On my list, he is 14th, but I would add it's because we have to put Nico Hulkenberg in the ratings, and he is 7th. So minus a place, he's 13th, but that's still not really a great result. So the final kind of teammate that we haven't talked about yet before we finish off the last couple of teams is, is Sergio Perez. And again, he's got his future for the first time ever in Formula One, really laid out in front of him. He's doing the right role. But let's talk about his season a little bit at, uh, at Red Bull. What do you think? I think um, it's it's it, up to a point, it was exactly what Red Bull needed. Yeah. And that's why he got the contract. And I genuinely think he totally gave the game away on the way into the podium. Oh, like, completely. Uh, yeah, yeah, with, yeah. The, with the fact he signed a contract when he says, oh, I signed too early. And the person who confirms that with just his eyes is when Christian Horner very quickly just looks at the camera like, oh, <laughs> did they hear that? Did we get away with it? Yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, so yeah, uh, up to a point, exactly what Red Bull needed. Um, as I explained earlier, his performance in that stage is that makes Verstappen's performance seem not as good and a bit sort of questionable because he's doing a very, very good job. Um, has had his down moments. Um, you think the Monaco crash in qualifying, not brilliant. Um, having to ask, be asked out of the way from Verstappen who'd, who'd thrown it off the track in Spain, not yeah. great, but also was very unlucky in Saudi Arabia. Terrific pole position. Yeah unlucky with the safety car timing also though did sort of get lucky the other way because the FIA should have stepped in and acted when it came to science and the safety car line that said 
it's all been undone a lot of the time because he's still got that propensity to qualify down the order yeah. compared to Max. Bear in mind, this is a car that can be qualifying on pole position. And that's the thing he's had all throughout his career. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's not. He's never been known for qualifying. And it's interesting. I think that's why he's got that tyre whisper uh, reputation yeah. because if you're qualifying down the order, mm. you're more likely to end up on an alternative strategy. So therefore, you're going to have to be competitive to make it work, which to be fair, he is very good at. Um, but then the weird things like letting that tyre temperature drop in Baku and therefore losing out to Verstappen there. But it's the way things seem to have gone away from him recently like Paul Ricard was a shocking performance I think he ends up I think it's joint lowest with Leclerc in my ratings for that one because he was so far away from Verstappen he got so easily beaten by uh, by the two Mercedes cars and then he completely messed up the VSC restart I know he and Christian Horner tried to blame it on the FIA systems but it, the FIA well it happens exactly the same to all the cars and 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 you know Russell nails it he doesn't have a massive wiggle man lose massive amount of momentum nearly dropping the car as Perez did so it's lately it's just it's not it's, it's it seems to be going away from him and maybe the summer break hopefully for him will come at a good time but as I said really good heist good great win in Monaco yeah that, that's hopefully that summarises Perez's season he's, he's been a really compliant deputy as well so it, even like Hungary was a great case in point Verstappen spins it Perez moves his car out the way to not run into him and then just sort of just pushes Russell out wide so he only loses one position and again there's been a couple of other races where he stepped aside no problem what I will say is I know the quote that popped out over the Hungry weekend was Marco talking about oh he's already on holiday which supposedly Horner said that was my quote I just didn't expect Marco to tell it to the world's media but Perez needs to sort of decide now there was no dispute over him getting a contract there was no sort of will he or won't he but his season, he needs to decide. He's in a camp at the minute where he's fallen behind being the good number two that he was. He needs to now make sure he doesn't fall into the Albon Gasly tier of the last few seasons. And that's what he's straddling at the minute with these last three races. And in terms of where he finishes at the end of the season, there is every chance that Charles Leclerc might not finish second. His quotes in um, in in Hungary were, everything's open still. Like, everything's open in the title race. And he didn't want to sort of entertain ideas of like, oh, are you going to sort of like be the man to support Max's title race? Like that's not already been a thing. But it's, uh, he's very, yeah, I think that that start of the season was, was fantastic and it did, did fully justify why they signed him and why he's got that contract now. He said that as the car was developed, it kind of moved away from him, him a little bit, but they did some work over the Hungary weekends to try and bring it back towards him a little bit more so I think that yeah the second half of the season is going to be I think as Keith said very important to sort of work out where is he now with Red Bull but I think the first half of the season for the most part has been pre- pretty solid from from Checo and uh, yeah I think you look at you look at Monaco you look at Baku and there's a moment we thought oh could he actually get into this title race maybe but yeah if he could end the year a solid second in the championship that has to be his target now like if he ends the year P2 I think he'd be pretty pleased Rewind to the beginning of the season. Great to see Kevin Magnussen in a, in a house and Mick Schumacher racing as well. Where have we put those in your final order? What grades have you given them? Uh, Magnussen is in twelfth place in our order, so three yep. positions, three positions down. And that was something you know when we when we compiled this list, he w- he was one of the bigger movers because it's just sort of when it, 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 like we do it with top fifty or any ranking thing. If you argue someone up, you have to argue someone down. Yep. And Magnussen fell victim to that one. Schumacher's fifteenth. In the driver ratings, he's 19th because you think back to Saudi where, you know, massive shunts and a few irredeemable sort of errors and being so far behind Magnussen. But then those that couple of run runner points, I mean, 15th probably still will cop some flat because we know he's a popular driver. But the fact is that harsh work considering, you know, what to do with him for the future and that that is reflective of some some pretty low lows this year. But he's he's improved with the pace. 
and some great racecraft and the fact, you know, the, the meme of him coming out angry is because he was right to feel aggrieved because they were some strong performances over Austria and uh, Silverstone. Yeah. I think with, with Schumacher, it's an example of how, and again, it's sort of similar to Perez, you've got to rate them on the job they're supposed to be doing. So yeah. Perez's job is to be as close to Max Verstappen as possible, but not beat him, right? Mick Schumacher's job is to get early points for Haas because that was rapid in Bahrain and Magnussen did it magnificently. And then it's get points where you can and he just wasn't doing it. Now he's unlucky in Bahrain. Ocon tapped him around at the start. Actually ends up having a big impact on his result at the end, right? Miami crashing into Sebastian Vettel. That was totally, that's why his ranking is low down. That's why he's down in 19th in the pure numbers average, right? Because it was just a, he lost his head at that point. And then you have a massive accident again in Monaco. It's, it's, the, it's the Saudi situation, right? It's, yeah you can't crash massively like that and not let it affect your score and there was big pressure on him and I think the team were very honest about that it's like we have to see something soon he has to he has to finally step up or he, he his seat was in danger there he did do it he was he was brilliant at Silverstone it would have been you know, very unfortunate if uh, if 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 Max Verstappen's defence and his sort of um, half half attacking had, had all gone wrong um, but what's interesting there is that I think it does unfortunately show what kind of Schumacher he is. I don't think Max would have defended as he did against his dad. And also Michael would have just gone, hang on a minute, what, what are yeah. you doing? You, you know, you, you, you're, you, I'll have you off the road and it'll be your fault. But Mick wouldn't have done that. So it's, it's sort of interesting there. But still, let's take the positives. As, as I've said, you know, we, we don't think they're any bad Formula 1 drivers. They're just different rates of good, right? At least he's he has does seem to have stepped up. He has made the most of some of those opportunities, and uh, and well done to him. Yeah, I thought his Austria weekend was was very good. Where he was yeah qualified well. Then in the sprint, he was kept saying like I'm faster and faster. And there was a little bit of needle there actually between the two Haas drivers. Yeah. But uh, yeah, and then I think executes it very well in the race and you look at performances like that and you're like okay you, you can do it like that really I think has proven a lot of people wrong about sort of saying oh is he ever going to score points and like, where, where, what is he doing so I think now in the second half of the season he's got to really he'll get the update from Spa onwards on that car and really just sort of say right this is my seat this is why I'm on the grid this is what I can do and deliver it week in week out because yeah we've seen glimpses of it this season but it just needs to be a bit more consistent uh, Pierre and Yuki at Alpha Tauri uh, how are they doing and, and they seem to be having fun, if that counts for anything. Uh, but what have they got to do in the second half of the season to uh, t- to make this a good good year? Do you think? Lots uh, as a as a teammate pairing, they're, they're like collectively bottom bo- bottom as it. Um, you know, Gasly sixteenth for us, Sonoda nineteenth. Sonoda some massive shunts, some big errors, even at the weekend spinning over Hungary. Okay, it's sort of an anonymous one, but he ships three places and he shouldn't have done it. And in the same way that. Norris annihilating Ricardo helps his uh, helps his order. The fact that Gasly and and Sonoda competitive order can flip quite often in in what is let's be honest a really bad car with the ATO three that's what brought them both down together. The fact that Gasly a race winner hasn't distanced Sonoda, but Sonoda's not having a great season either. So it's sort of they've they've held each other down. What they're finding is that it's a far less consistent car to what they had last year. And Gasly compared it to 2018 when he was with Toro Rosso. And some weekends, the car would absolutely be hooked up and perfect. And we saw that in the second race of that season in Bahrain where he finished fourth and everyone went, oh, this is Red Bull's great new hope and Honda have finally made it work and everything. And the high, the highs are high, but the lows are, are pretty low and they're more regular. And yeah, we haven't seen that kind of... I know like Pierre he himself like he's very pleased with the job he's done this year and he's trying to be more and more of a leader at Fienza but 
it, they are really, really struggling. They waited for so long for those updates and put them on the car and they've not really done a lot and they're still really confused by what it's doing. Um, Sonoda, he, I, I actually asked him in France when we spoke, I said, what would you rate your season out of 10? He said, I'd give it a seven before... Sorry, he said, I give it a seven. But before Silverstone and Canada were had two bad weekends, he uh, gave 8.3, which is quite precise of him. But I wonder what now after France and Hungary as well, because it's sort of, yeah, it's a bit of a slide and you're kind of wondering... At the beginning of the season, he seemed far more consistent, like he knew a bit more what he was doing, which is something he's said himself. But now we're sort of seeing a few of those errors slip in again. I think it's, it's with Gasly, as Luke said, the inconsistent car is reflected in his driving. And unfortunately, that reflects poorly on him. Like, for example, making that track limits mistake in qualifying in Hungary, right? Yeah. But with Sonoda, some of the errors have been shocking. I mean, the one in that, Canada was just... Uh, straight out of the pit lane. He's, he's really <laughs> poor, like really, really poor. Uh, and then tapping his teammate around at Silverstone. It's like... What what saves him really is that we tend to say three years in the third season you expect a massive step from the driver. So if this is still happening in a year's time, because we we expect him to carry on at AlphaTauri, let's face it, then he I don't think he's I don't think he's got a long F one F one future. Karma France Toss for mugging off my question in Austria. You're still better, aren't you, Q? I read it in the transcript. It was savage. Hilarious, isn't it? Yeah. At least when I got Sebastian Vettel's uh, one word answer, when I said, do you want to go into politics? He was like, no. He did apologise at least. Franz was just like, nah. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Vettel and Stroll and uh, how you think that team is coming along uh, this year. First, we didn't see Vettel at the start of the season, of course, once he finally got in the car. Um, And now we know his future as well. So what are your thoughts on those two drivers? So yeah, so that's why you mentioned Nico Hulkenberg briefly there, because I think you're looking at the the, the averages (laughs) that on the website. He's he's seventh in the standings. Well, no, it's because the website just takes them to your numbers. It literally just averages out the magazine has a little footnote that says doesn't include Nico Hulkenberg. So on the website at the end of the season, Hulkenberg will probably be in the top 10 just by that quirk. He will be, yeah, because he's on an average of seven exactly yeah, that, some right. good races um, well Vettel I think um, uh, there's a stat here that I think is, is ultimately going to sum up his F1 career right brilliant but a little bit uh, slightly disappointing in terms of the sort of racing statistics is that if he starts every race now to the end of the season he'll end up on 299 races which is a little Aww. bit like ah, oh, a little bit but maybe he'll like that because uh, Jackie Stewart 99 races yeah. maybe that's that sort of plays into the, into the Vettel legend a little bit but yeah you know it took him a long time to get to grips with the car but when he did He's been phenomenal. Lance Stroll has just been Lance Stroll. Not not all that much good to say. But what particularly frustrates me is that it's his qualifying. Like, you know, the Aston is sort of up and down, up and down, but he never gets the most out of it. But then he does actually start very well in races and he does go forwards. So give him credit for that. But it gives that false thing, you know, the sort of, oh, he's he got the most overtakes of the season. Well, it's unfortunate. You know, the drivers at the, at the front of the field have got fewer cars to overtake. And you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a false... It's a false yeah, statistic. Seb won that last year. We didn't did, he yeah, yeah. Martin. Exactly, but then again, that that showed it was him underperforming in qualifying there, right? Um, but yeah, it's, it's sort of it's Aston's. It's the car that's really also central to the to the story, right? They're one of the big teams that totally changed their concept, and it took them a little while uh, to get on top of that. But yeah, not brilliant from either of them, but about where they you'd expect them to be. Vettel ahead. And, and, and doing okay I think Matt where have you got him in the, in the order we've got him 11th and actually again it was, I think that was one when I did my own order and then consulted you I think I maybe even had him in top 10 you rightly sort of corrected that but you know sorry Seb impressive performance and uh it's, it's, that, it's that thing with the qualifying has been bad for both of them a lot of that I've been asked in 
completely messing up its tyre strategy and they're going out with two cooler tyres but you know that that's what they're being told but then it's sort of a driver error as well because you look at some of their outlaps which yes we're sad enough to look at and you realise that they're not negotiating traffic particularly well so they are slow and they're compromising themselves so it's just one of those bit fiddly bit yeah not not anonymous as such because there have been some good performances but there, there's nothing that's like really dragging them into the, the top 10 uh, I think Alex Albon uh, has, has had a, a, a season that, it, that he should be pretty proud of um, new ownership there and obviously that that pays uh, into who their second or other driver could be next year. So a couple of thoughts on Williams drivers. I think Alex has performed fantastically this year as our Grand Prix editor, and Alex Albon has also done a very good job. <laughs> I took a moment Thank to drop. Um, <laughs> um, no, no, what about the assistant to the Grand Prix? Yeah, Albon has, I think, done a really good job. Because when he came back to F1, there were kind of the questions about, like, is he is he damaged goods? Like, did the year out affect him? Did the way Red Bull treat him have an impact? And he came back and he got on with it. And, I mean, Australia, where he made that, incredible strategy work where he pitted I think on the penultimate lap and snared a point and we were watching it thinking like can he actually do this and he, he got it done and it was brilliant and then in Miami again like he was taking a car that should not be in the points and doing really great work with it so I think he's um he's done a really really good job this year I think he deserves all the credit I think that by the time this podcast is published I think he'll be confirmed as a Williams driver for 2023 as well which is richly deserved it's tailed off a, a little bit recently I think that again they've been waiting on those updates um they've arrived and they're still sort of trying to yeah dig into what they can do but he wants to be targeting Q2 on a pretty regular basis now so I think yeah Albon's done a, a really great job um Latifi I think he yeah he's had struggles this year we know it's likely to be his last season in Formula 1 it looks like and he said until Silverstone like he just couldn't get around the car he was really really struggling with it they did a chassis change and he said since then he feels like he's taken a, a good step forward so yeah I think that I think really though you look at Albon and you say he's he's I think done all he can really so far this season little snippets sort of related to Albon in terms of that when he did pit on the penultimate lap in Melbourne comes out of the pit lane there's just people in the pit lane he shouldn't be there Bit, oh really? Bit, 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 yeah, if you go back and watch the video, it's a bit, it's a bit, bit, little bit, a uh, little bit dodgy there. So I think uh, the FIA needs to be a bit hotter on that. And actually, it comes back to I think it was Paul Ricard. I don't know what team it was, but I can, there, was a, there was a celebrity they had in their garage went out and he's got a video on their social media of Lewis Hamilton coming back through to part Fermo, which is which is not good if someone gets run over and hurt. But anyway, that's completely not to do with either Alex Albon or um, or, or whoever was coming down the the, the pit lane. Uh, Paul Ricard, Alex Albon, I think has has done the job. I think he he comes in, he sort of leads Williams with his pace. But I worry, does he lead them in the way Russell did off the track? You know, I think I think the problem still is that Alex Albon is too nice a guy. I think that George Russell just go and watch that Netflix documentary from his from his first season where he lays into Williams after the practice at Silverstone. I, I can't, I just cannot see Albon doing that. And then with Nicholas Latifi in the other car, wildly inconsistent. Saw it over one single lap in Hungary. Um, not happy with the car in the wind. It's understandable why the team gave Albon the updated car first. And I think he's really going to struggle to to keep his drive at the end of this season. As of Silverstone, they've had a new chassis. And he's not saying the old chassis was cracked, but either the way it's been assembled or certain configurations of parts that they've swapped over have, have made the difference. But I don't buy his full claim. And having sat down and spoken to him and Dave Robson had a uh, Williams performance, they're there or well, Latifi much more so than than Dave Robson is saying that that's responsible for I found three quarters of a second per lap and that explains a cabin to Albon and looking at the data it doesn't quite support it and then there's the other element which is finishing well behind your teammate and then there's a shunt so you know uh Saudi Arabia crashes in qualifying team rebuild a car and only bins it 
in the race and pretty big style as well. And then um, although it was 50-50, according to, uh, according to the FIA, I believe that it was him at fault in Paul Ricard. He didn't leave with Magnussen anywhere to go, so they were going to have the crash. It's still, and you could argue that, okay, if his you know, last season and this year, the car's been so bad or he's had a poor season, so maybe he's a bit race rusty in that context, but you know, he still he still committed the foul. So again, it's not like a cataclysmic season, but just cumulatively everything. You when when you're arguing the cases for the other drivers, he just kept, kept shuffling, shuffling down and he's at the bottom as a result. Yeah. Well there we go, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, enjoy your summer breaks. May you find a beach or a cold beer somewhere. Uh, you deserve it. Uh, although you'll be marathon training, I presume. Marathon training, snow beer probably. But buying a flat as well. Which is- Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a World. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's very scary, but um, yeah, we'll see. So not probably much time off over this summer. But Thank you very much for listening to our Half Term Report podcast, and we'll catch you on the next one. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Message and data rates may apply. Guys, got hair loss? I know what you're thinking. Should I shave my head, comb it over, wear a hat? Just stop. This is in 1970. Keep your hair and your confidence because Bosley, America's number one hair restoration experts, can give you your real hair back permanently. Check them out today because they're giving away an absolutely free information kit and a free gift card to anyone that texts EASY to 203203. Dude, you don't have to look like your dad because this isn't your dad's hair loss treatment. People all over the country trust Bosley because they're ahead of the curve. They use the latest technology to give you your real hair back. And the best part? Bosley's permanent solution is protected by the Bosley Guarantee. Let Bosley show you for free how awesome your hair could look with an absolutely free information kit and a gift card for $250 off. Text EASY to 203203. That's B-A-S-Y to 203203. Sports Social Podcast Network. In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.